We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. It's page 995 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. When is the last time that... uh you gave in to self-pity in your life. The kind of poor me mentality. We're fickle people, aren't we? It's easy to fall into self-pity. It's easy to fall into the poor me. Maybe it was at work. Maybe somebody said something to you or a boss asked you to do something that you felt was unfair. Maybe it was at school, a teacher, or maybe you are a teacher and you felt taken advantage of. Maybe it's a spouse who said something and you were offended by it. Maybe it's a child who just seemed not very grateful in that moment. Maybe it's just life in general. Maybe, just maybe, it's winter. Just think about the last time you felt in the self-pity. It's easy, isn't it? It's it's one of those things that we can easily go down that road if we're not careful. And as we look at this text this morning, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, had every reason to go there. Every reason to go there because of the circumstance that he found himself in. Certainly his conditions were were much less than uh, easy. We have already talked about the fact that he probably was in the maritime prison, which is one of the harshest prisons of Rome. Probably had a hole to breathe and to see any kind of daylight. And was there for unjust reasons. He was there as a criminal, the scripture says, and he certainly wasn't a criminal. He had done nothing to deserve where he was at. Conditions were harsh. The people probably were not very nice. And certainly sanitation and human rights were out the window. Paul was in a place that was not very fun. He also had naysayers. He had all kinds of people on the outside who were putting pressure on him. The people in Ephesus who raised up against Timothy, or Timothy was, who came against him, who used the opportunity, if you will, to come to some kind of importance within the church and saw Paul's weakness is a way to worm their way in, in ways that were not conducive to the church. Certainly there were those who probably said, if God were really with you, Paul, and for you, you would not be where you're at. We hear that today in our world, in the church world. If, if uh, 
we're doing and blessed by God, then all difficulty goes out the window. Certainly there had to be those in Paul's day who would have said the same things. Paul had every opportunity to fall into self-pity. And yet, in this text, he doesn't. In fact, what he does, I think, is he gives the reasons for why he did not. Because he knows that Timothy is going to experience the same circumstances. So he begins to tell Timothy the things that keep Paul from giving in to self-pity and the poor fee mentality. And the first one that we talked about was... Two weeks ago, as we talked about the resurrection, and we quoted it this morning, it says in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Remember Christ, risen, the King of kings, who's alive, who has accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished, that we don't have to remain in our sin. That's where he went first. For Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. On that particular Sunday, if you weren't here, we talked about um, what, what it would be like if Christ were not risen from the dead. In fact, that's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about all the things that would not be as they are today for believers if Christ had not been raised. Because if Christ had not been raised, the scripture says very plainly, we are people of all people to be pitied. That's how he described the fact of us being followers of Christ and a Christ who's not been raised from the dead. We of all people should be pitied. Of all people, we should fall into the poor me mentality, really is what he's saying. In fact, not only that, but we should go out and eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. That's if Christ is not raised. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, he says, Christ has been raised from the dead. And so we shouldn't go out and do all of that. And we have no need to be pitied. In fact, as we ended last, or that particular Sunday, we said in many ways, Christians are to be envied because we are not still in our sins. And there are some glorious things coming. In fact, we close with two texts. This one was one of them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this. This light, slight, if you will, and momentary affliction, Paul's talking about afflictions he's been, and not particularly this one because this was the one at the end, but he had been in plenty before this time to fall into self-pity. All kinds of difficulties. But he says this light or slight and momentary affliction is preparing for us something, and it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What's he comparing it to? The affliction he's in. That's why he could say, even though they were horrific conditions that he'd experienced and would in this prison, they were slight and they were momentary. Not because they didn't hurt, not because in many ways there would be reason for self-pity in them, but because of what they are compared to and what Paul knew was coming was a glory, a glory beyond all comparison. He was confident of that because Christ has been raised and is alive today. The end of 1 Corinthians 15, after he had recounted what happens if Christ has not been raised and 
fact that we are the most to be pitied, and in fact we should just go out, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. This is how he concludes it after he says, but Christ has been raised. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't give in to self-pity, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's what Paul was confident of. That's how he came against self-pity. That was one of the ways. Christ is raised from the dead and is alive. But there's a second reason. That's what I want to go to this morning and I want to talk about. The second reason is in the text as well. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, reason one, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but... This is reason number two, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. I'm bound. I'm bound as a criminal, but it isn't. That was the second thing that kept Paul, I think, from self-pity. In fact, Paul knew that the word of God, in fact, was not bound and was not limited by his chains. And in fact, knew that his change actually served to make it shine brighter. That's why he could fight against self-pity. Because he knew that the actual chains that he was enduring as a criminal, far from holding back the word going forward, actually caused that word to burn and and glow brighter because of it. In fact, he goes on to say this. He says, bound if chains is criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure. I fight against self-pity. I continue to hold on to the promises of God. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal Joy. He, he didn't bemoan the fact, here I am. Here I am. I, I'm kept from declaring the message. Oh God, you call me to do this and then you put me in jail as a criminal. And I can't share the message you called me to share. He's not having that conversation with his God. What he's saying is, therefore I endure. I fight self-pity. Because I know that these very chains that I am enduring are part of the means of that word going forth and burning brighter to the people whom God has died to save, to the elect, to those for whom God in Christ has died. This message will burn brighter because of my chains and in spite of my chains. That's the message I think that he is portraying to Timothy here. And it's because Paul knew some things that are important for us to remember. First of all, I think Paul knew that the word, the word, this word that is not bound, the word of God, that the word is the direct means of the elect, of those for whom Christ has died, coming to faith. The word is the direct means for that. It is the word. Faith 
cometh by hearing, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, and hearing by the word of Christ or the word of God. Paul knew that the direct means by which people would come to faith is the word. And so he was declaring the word because that was the means for it to come. He knew that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and the way they will call is they will hear the word of God, of Christ, and they will come to faith. God will plant faith in their heart, and they will come to embrace this Christ. Last week, as I was preparing this message, actually two weeks ago as I was preparing this message for the Sunday we didn't have, we were sitting at our counter in our kitchen, and uh, we were having uh, some meal. I'm not sure what, what meal it was for sure, but I remember at the end of that, all of a sudden starting to hear these words in my kitchen. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him spricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And as I began to hear those words, I was kind of jolted out of whatever I was thinking and whatever I was doing. We were at the end of the meal, and we were kind of getting things back in order. And I realized those words were coming from one of the two little girls that are living with us, the youngest of the two. And then I realized that they were memory verses from their clubhouse um, memory packet. And I can't tell you how encouraging it was to hear those words. I stopped. I literally just stopped and began to listen to those words being recited in my kitchen. Coming back to the truth of this Word, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Isaiah 53 is a picture of that suffering servant. And I rejoiced that they were reciting those verses. And as we continued in that moment for a while, youngest working at it as hard as she could and getting it pretty well, to be honest with you, getting most all of those words in that I read to you. And they were flowing out of her, her oldest her older sister, I should say, made this comment. She said, that's the favorite verse of the teacher I had last year. It's the favorite verse of the teacher I had last year. Not only was I thrilled that the youngest who was now learning that was remembering, but a year previous, her sister had been in the same class reciting the same words and remembering that her teacher said, that's my favorite passage of Scripture. The word is the means, folks. The word is the means of faith. That's why I rejoice that faith cometh by hearing. Faith will come in those little girls and any other little girls and any of you and any other people through the word. People hearing the word. Paul knew that. Paul knew it very well. But he also knew that that word wasn't bound, even though he was. Even though he was not able at that point directly to be out among the people 
He knew that word was continuing to be heard and the force of that word was being heard even more forcefully because he was in chains as a criminal. And I think that's the way it works. You see, I said, I said very carefully that Paul knew that faith is the primary means or the the main means of which or the direct means by which faith cometh. Faith cometh directly from the word. But he also calls us. He says in Romans earlier in that passage, how will they hear that word, which is the means, the direct means, unless we tell them, unless we proclaim that word? It has to be proclaimed. God has designed that it be proclaimed. And so I rejoice in the fact that there are you here in these pews that are proclaiming that word, and not just in clubhouse, but in every places that we do ministry, that the word, the word is the direct means, but we have to declare that word. And, and I want to say to you, I know there have been times on Wednesday evenings, if I just take clubhouse, for instance, because I know it in my own heart. I know there are times when I want to be prone to self-pity. When it's cold and dark in the middle of January and you come out on a Wednesday night and you pick up kids in a van and you think, is anything being accomplished? It's dark when you come. It's dark when you go home. It's hard to, after a full day's work to come and to teach those classes. And sometimes you think the kids aren't listening in those classes. And you think, is anything being accomplished? I want to say to you, yes, it is. The direct means of God bringing faith is the word, but there is something about the willingness of people to sacrifice in bringing that word. And that's exactly where Paul, Paul, we could say, was suffering. It wasn't just sacrifice. He was suffering for the sake of that word getting out and being heard. And I think it is the word, is the direct means, but God also has chosen to use the suffering of his people, the sacrifice of his people, to be both the cost and the means of that word not being bound and of it being heard. Because the second point I want to make is certainly the word is the primary, is the direct means. But secondly, I think Paul also knew that the word's progress would be this. The word's progress would come with this term, glory. The glory of the word coming, the glory of faith coming would come. The glory through suffering. The glory through suffering. The hearing of the word would come through the suffering of those who were willing to proclaim that word. That's what I think is happening in this text. That's why he says, remember Jesus Christ risen. That's good. But he also says here that the word is not bound. He's not saying that just because I'm in chains that somehow it will go out there and be heard without, which is true. God can take his word and do it any way he wants to do it. But in this context, he is saying the word is not bound even though I am bound. And therefore, even my suffering, even my suffering as a criminal, is causing that word to shine brighter and to go forth more fully. And that's the way it is, folks. That's what this table says to us. Glory through suffering. We are going to 
celebrate the glory of our Lord. We sang about the glory of our Lord, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, but that glory came through suffering. That is the path. That is the way it came to us. It's the way it comes to us at this table this morning. That's what this picture is this morning. So we are to remember. We're not just to remember that he's a risen king, although we are, he is, but we need to remember what he came through to be that risen king of kings and lord of lords. And it was a path of suffering that brought him there. And the scripture says this to us. Peter says it. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That's what Paul was doing, wasn't it? For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why is it a gracious thing in the sight of God to see his people suffer? For doing good. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that, so that you might follow in his steps. Folks, the, the, the biblical picture is glory through suffering we are to follow in his steps we are to do the same thing he did and the glory we see today in this table came through suffering the glory of that word going forth to little girls at my kitchen table is also the same path people willing to declare it even when it's not easy to declare it to fight self-pity, to fight giving in to those things, thinking it's not worth it, and to believe God, that he uses that as a means for that word to get planted into hearts. Listen, another text that I've used before, and I won't spend a lot of time, but in Colossians 1, it says this. This is Paul now writing. This is what Paul thought. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Why does he rejoice? Is he, is he a masochist? I mean, in the sense of, what's wrong with Paul? For I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. Why does he rejoice? He rejoices because in some way his sufferings is making the word of God more fully known. That's what Paul believed. That's what Peter was saying when he said follow in his steps. There's something that it says about the worth of God when a people are willing, are willing to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of that word which brings faith being heard. The word is the direct means, but the means of the word going forward is suffering and sacrifice of a people. God's design, I believe, with all of my heart, is that suffering is both the price and the means by which the word gets rooted in the lives of people. That's what Paul was saying. That's what he was declaring, I think, to Timothy. So Timothy, don't fall into self-pity. 
Though you will suffer some of the same things I'm suffering, fight it because the word of God is not bound. It is not bound. Paul knew that God's power, the word saving, he uses the term here, I do everything for the sake of the elect. The the, the power of God is seen in that weakness, in that glory through suffering movement. It's why scripture says things like it says. It's why Paul was willing to live in weakness that the power of God might be known through that weakness. Listen to some text. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body of death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work, but life in you. Death is at work in us, but life in you. And that life comes through the word. But, but that death is the death, is the sacrifice and the suffering of God's people that the word might go forth and be heard. Another place Paul says, talking about the thorn in the flesh that God gave to him, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord for my power, but the Lord came back and says, for my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities, I think you could add to that, although it hadn't happened yet, but he was in chains as a criminal. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What he means is that God is strong. God is taking that word. It is not bound and in fact has has the means by which that word goes forward. So the word can't be thwarted. It can't be thwarted. It can't be somehow put in a bottle and bottled up. John MacArthur says, the power of God's word has never been dependent on man's protection or subject to man's restriction. Folks, I'm grateful for religious freedom in our country. I'm grateful for it. Grateful for what it avails us. But I'm telling you, if we lose it, the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. It will never be bound. There are examples of it all over the place. There are, are 600 miles of catacombs under the city of Rome. 600 miles of catacombs were created under the city of Rome in 10 generations of Christians over a 300-year period. They estimate that probably it was the meeting and burial place for some 400 million Christians. And all over the walls of those catacombs, you find this. The word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. Luther said it this way. He said, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. The direct means is the word, but 
How will they hear it except except we go? And as we go, God uses that to cause that word to be heard more brilliantly. John Bunyan was an example of that. He he wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress in prison. And for a long time, it was second in sales to everything except the Bible for a long period of time, for centuries. John Bunyan was in a cell But he would preach. He would preach from that cell and people would gather outside because his cell window was right by the wall of the prison. And so people would gather outside of his cell so they could hear Bunyan declare the word of God. What could have Bunyan done? Bunyan could have wallowed in self-pity. But he didn't. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was in prison. He could have wallowed in self-pity and said, poor me, and never spoke a word. But what did he do? He preached from that cell. And there was a power in that, the power of God, taking that word and converting souls outside of those prison walls. In the late 40s and 50s, they estimate there were about 700,000 Christians in China. And then the Cultural Revolution came, and they estimate that 30 million Chinese were slaughtered, and among them were many of those Christians. There were 40 years of that brutal oppression. It's good to have Heather here today. I don't know where she's at. I saw her. Um, But 40 years of brutal oppression and imprisonment. Today, there's anywhere from 30 Some estimates say 100 million believers in China. God's word is not bound. It can't be bound. Paul would say it this way. He said it earlier in his first imprisonment. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's in prison, the first imprisonment. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my change, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Why? Because of the fact that Paul's willingness to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of Christ shows the worth of Christ. Showed the worth of Christ to those who were with him but not in prison, to be more bold, not to pull in, not to wallow in self-pity, but to speak the word more boldly because they knew that the word was the key. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Let me close with this and then we're going to come to the table this morning. There's a powerful story that's told about Russia. When Russia began to open up, and it was a, just an amazing thing as that wall came down and Russia began to open up. In fact, we had a couple of opportunities to go to Russia just after it had opened up and to be in the country. But this particular story was a story about the commission group, which we heard of actually when we were there. Commission went in early into Russia just as it was beginning to open up and began to do ministry. And they were in a city, um, uh, I, th- I think the way you pronounce it is, is Stavropol. And in that particular city, 
Um, they were doing ministry there, but they, they had wanted a shipment of Bibles to be sent from Moscow in so that they could distribute them in that particular city. And, uh, and uh, they didn't know the, the history of the city at that time, but they were having difficulty getting those Bibles from Moscow. But they heard that when the oppression came, when, when the authorities had begun to try under Stalin to stomp out Christianity, they had confiscated Bibles all over the country of Russia. And what they found out is that in this particular city, they had kept those Bibles. They had actually put them in a storage facility and they were still there. And so these co-mission workers in the early days of the opening up of Russia gathered up courage and prayed about it. They went to the authorities and they asked about getting those Bibles. And and so they were given permission. To their amazement, they were given permission to go get those Bibles and to distribute those Bibles. Well, they had to hire some kind of part-time help, day help, if you will, to do the distributing of those Bibles and getting them ready to be distributed around the city. And one of those individuals was a young man who was an agnostic. He was skeptical about Christianity. He had kind of a chip on his shoulder and uh, he just hired on for the day. And he was kind of a slackered, and so he hired on for the day and decided he was going to go get one of those Bibles and kind of go off into an area and just just not work very hard. And so he picked up one of those Bibles. He went off into that area. And the story, as they tell it, is that later they came across that individual, and he was in tears. This young man was in tears because what had happened is as he'd gone off to grab one of those Bibles, as he opened it up, what he found was the signature of his grandmother in that Bible. That very Bible had been a Bible that his grandmother had had and had been confiscated for her, and she had suffered greatly for the sake of Christ when they confiscated that, but certainly must have prayed for him as well. Again, just another illustration that the word of God is not bound. And I tell that story, I mean... I tell that story to say the power, again, there's something about the even the grandmother having that Bible taken from her and then providentially put there where her, her, her grandson would pick it up. It has a power. It had a power on his heart along with the word of God that I think is the picture of, of glory through suffering. There's something about this message that the Bible continually comes back to that Paul comes back to in this text. He says, therefore I endure everything because it's not wasted. I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may attain the salvation for which Christ died. The word of God is not bound. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. We're going to come now to the table. You have in your bulletin this morning an invitation for this table. If you're visiting with us this morning, we have open communion in our fellowship. You are certainly welcome, if you can live under that invitation, to partake with us. We welcome you to partake with us as we come to remember this morning all that it declares to us. Listen to what Paul again writes, and then we're going to come. Paul writes this, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body for which, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. represents to us the body of our Lord the body that was broken the body that was raised to glory but it was only raised after suffering suffering then glory glory through suffering take and hold it and we'll partake together our sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace around the table of the body of our Savior Jesus Christ torn for you eat and remember the wounds that heal the death that brings us life paid the price to make us one so we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the
This represents the body of a king, the king of king and lord of lords, a king who was willing to suffer, to be broken for us. I don't know about you, but that's a king worthy of our allegiance. Take and eat in gratitude. Represents the blood of the king. He didn't stay back behind the lines, but he went to the front, spilt his blood for us. That cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember, He drained death's cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of grace around the table of the King. So with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond And to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ As His body here on earth As we share in his suffering, we proclaim Christ will come again and will join in the feast of love around the table of the
we drink this morning, I, I do hope we remember Christ risen, son of David. But I think and hope we also remember that we're called to follow in his steps. And that our drinking is a declaration of all of that. Take and be grateful. We didn't plan to do this. I didn't tell Matthew this, but that last particular verse just really seals, I think, what we said from the word today. I'd like us to sing it as a benediction as we go this morning. Let's stand and do that. And so with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond And to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ As his body here on earth As we share in his sufferings We proclaim Christ will come again And will join In the feasts of heaven Around the table of the King Go in that reality you're dismissed this morning. God bless you.